0: And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm really pleased to have back at the microphone after a bit of a hiatus, Natasha Panagis from Tax and Super Australia. Welcome, Natasha.
1: Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me back.
0: Wonderful to have you back. And this time around, ladies and gentlemen, we've got quality microphones in the house, so that's kind of nice, so we can hear Natasha loud and clear. And lots of water has flowed under the bridge since we last chatted. Now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, just to refresh your memory, the last time I spoke to Natasha on Dollars and Making Sense was back in February of this year. And at that time, we were talking about crypto investing within self-managed super funds. Now, the reason I asked Natasha onto the show to talk about crypto and SMSFs at that time was because we were getting lots of questions in that space. And I guess, Natasha, there's a lot, was still a lot of grey areas when it comes to trustees, uh, I guess, dipping their toe into areas where probably maybe they shouldn't. Is that still the case, do you think, today?
1: Yeah, it is still the case. Um, and, you know, it's the super legislation doesn't say what you can't invest in, Um you effectively do need to just make sure that it is right for your fund, you're investing in accordance with your investment strategy, and um, it meets a range of other requirements. So it is possible to invest in in these types of investments, um, but you just need to make sure uh, that it's in line with your strategy and in line with the requirements of the super legislation.
0: I must admit, Natasha, it's one of the things that I've seen over the many years I've been involved in in my own SMSF and with other trustees is that if there's a new way of wangling the legislation and seeing if we can stretch the law one way or the other – the super uh, arena seems to be that uh, area that they go uh, testing because it's the kind of area where a lot of trustees, I think, uh, I think because they're enabled by the law to do their own thing, uh, they, I guess, they try it on, and we, we see and we've seen this legislation. Uh, according to you know, with regards to SMSFs, evolve over the last 15, 20 years, where we had people buying artworks or collectibles and all well and good, but then they were hanging it up in their own home and saying, well, isn't this a great investment? And obviously, as the law evolved, we had to come back in and say, no, that's actually not allowed. And so I think with uh, that that show we did back in February around crypto, it was, I guess, a salient time to to refresh the memories of trustees, and uh, funnily enough, only a month later, uh, ASIC decided to have a chat to all the uh, Finn influencers um, and have morning tea with them and shut them down. So ASIC's been a lot more assertive and aggressive in the last 12 months, haven't they?
1: They have. They have. Um, and, you know, it's it's an educative thing. Um thing as well, particularly as well from the ATO, just to remind people, particularly SMSF trustees, of what their responsibilities are as trustee of the fund, what they should be looking for, what they need to be doing, uh, and, and just investing in line with um, their strategy, uh, making sure that every investment is in accordance with the sole purpose of super, which is really to uh, provide a retirement benefit for the members or a death benefit for uh, their beneficiaries Mm. and not to really get a a current day benefit from the assets within your fund. Um, So that's the whole purpose of Super. It's there for you for when you retire and not for you to get a current day benefit from. Um, Yeah,
0: I I like that terminology, that current day benefit, ladies and gentlemen. I think that's really important because when this notion first came, and I mean, I've had my SMSF since 2001, and the way my accountant painted the story to me, it, it ended up sounding like it was a slush fund that we were going to get our hands onto. But anyway, let's move on. So since we last spoke, it's a new government old tricks with a new financial year in play. What's been going on, Natasha, in this space?
1: Yes, that's right, Ray. Well, since we last spoke, uh, we have had a federal budget. uh, We've had a federal election, which obviously resulted in a change of government, with the Labor Party now forming a majority Labor government. Um, In terms of old tricks, as you say, Uh, As part of the election campaign, Labor said that they would not reform superannuation taxes and that there'd be no major overhaul of the super system if they won the election. Uh, Now they have won the election, so let's just hope they stick to that and don't make any uh, adverse, uh, any changes with any adverse consequences. And I suppose during the, the election campaign, the government, they proposed a far less A radical suite of policies than the previous election back in 2019. So they didn't revisit or recommit to a range of proposals that they announced back in 2019, uh, because back then uh, they announced a number of policies that looked to tighten controls on how much money people could put into super. And they also looked at increasing super taxes on anyone earning over $200,000. So they've steered clear from those uh, policies. And uh, which is a good thing. And so these new uh, their new position or proposals are not as wide wide ranging or as bold as when they last sought government in 2019. Uh, but what we do know is they have committed to a number of new uh, tax and super policies. Uh, one of the uh, one of the main super policies that they have uh, been quite vocal about is that they will continue on with the increase to superannuation guarantee or SG. So that will continue to go ahead as per, um, as it is already legislated. So that will get to, uh, that will reach 12% by 2025. So that will mm. continue on um, until then. Uh, so that was one of the key uh, things that they, uh, that they mentioned that they would continue with. They also hinted to a number of other super guarantee measures um, in the past, in the lead-up to the election, uh, and one of one of those things was um, paying super guarantee on the uh, paid parental leave scheme, which is offered by the government. That 18 weeks of paid parental leave. So last, I think it was late last year, the um, the government announced that they would um, look to do this. Uh, but since then, uh, Labor is still consulting on the policy, and I think it was last week in a press conference, uh, the treasurer uh, Jim Chalmers said that. At some point, he'd like to find a way to responsibly fund that, um, fund it and pay it on paid parental leave. But it's a matter of, I suppose, considering the cost of businesses and the government if this measure has any chance of being legislated. So um, that's one thing we we uh, can potentially look, look to. Um, also, uh, they, they mentioned late last year in their national platform paper that they, once Super Guarantee gets to 12%, uh, that they will look to increase it to 15%. Um, So that'll be interesting to see if that ever um, (laughs) gets
0: ahead. I I, I don't disagree. I mean, they've had enough um, uh, uh, gnashing of teeth in getting it to this point now. And I guess one of the interesting things is, Natasha, we've been uh, with a new government now for just over two months, their to-do list is enormous. Uh, I, I just can't imagine how many more incom- incoming governments have had so much muck to have to clean up. And I'm being very partisan now when I say this, but uh, I'm allowed to because it's my show. But <laughs> it's just yeah. one of those things that when when I look at their to-do list and I have had the opportunity to meet Stephen Jones, who was shadow. Uh, financial services minister at the time uh, juxtaposed to Jane Hume and he's got a list of to-do list uh, as well that's quite lengthy and so uh, I guess moving that super the SG from 12 eventually when we get to 12 up to 15 uh, I maybe that's a, a second or third election cycle away don't you think?
1: Yeah I do think um I'm not sure how successful they'll be at doing that, considering this will all this this comes as a cost to small businesses uh, because effectively they are funded they will need to fund that uh, for their employees. So whether we see that this term or potentially in a future term, uh, we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Well, small business and big business alike, and also government. I mean, uh, a lot of people tend to forget that when I hear uh, politicians talk about not allowing uh, the the worker to move past 10 or 12 or the the delays that the LNP put in, they forget to mention to the general populace that their own super scheme is uh, levied at 17%. But uh, let's maybe tackle that for another time. And so... One of the things that we're going to talk about today is an article that you wrote back in February of this year, and much of uh, this reference article that's actually, ladies and gentlemen, on the Tax and Super Australia website, and it's titled Superannuation Budget Measures One Step Closer. But we're actually a little closer than one step now, aren't we?
1: We are. Um, When I wrote that article, we were just awaiting for that bill to receive royal assent, in other words, um, to pass as law. Um, now, luckily, that uh, bill did pass and became law in February of this year. Now, a lot of the measures within this bill um, were propo- were um, announced last year in last year's federal budget, and so this bill um pretty much passed just before the calling of the um, the federal election, which was great timing. So there's a range of measures in here um, that kicked off effectively from 1 July this year. Okay. And, then-
0: and and I'm going to hold you there for just a moment. Sorry. I know you've got so much to tell us, but it is time for a break. So, um, And we're going to pick this up when we come back from our station announcement, ladies and gentlemen. So you're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison from OTG Capital, and I'm at the microphone with Natasha Panagis from Tax and Super Australia. We're going to go for a short break and we'll be back with you in just a moment. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison from OTG Capital and at the microphone today, we have Natasha Panagis, who is a superannuation expert with Tax and Super Australia. Now, one of the things I might just quickly get you to do, Natasha, before we then get back into the subject that we're talking about now with the changes in super, is maybe just a quick um, overview of what Tax and Super Australia is and what you guys do.
1: Oh Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ray. Um, Well, Tax and Super Australia, we're a not-for-profit member-based organisation, and we assist uh, tax and super professionals since 1919, so we've been around for just over 100 years now. Wow. So quite a long time. Um, wow, that is. Yeah, quite quite uh, quite a long time. But um, we have a subscriber base of approximately or 15,000 uh, people and uh, around 4,000 members who are mainly uh, financial professionals like accountants, tax agents, financial advisors and other super professionals that are all in public practice. So um, we represent uh, those professionals. Uh, Our head office is in Melbourne, but um, we do have, we are a national organisation and have members in every uh, state and territory.
0: So I guess, ladies and gentlemen, the reason I love having Natasha Natasha on the show is because guess what? She knows what she's talking about. So I'm really pleased to have you on the show again, as we did back in February. So look, we're talking about an article that you published back in February that it now all these different rule changes that were being proposed at the time have now become law. So what I wanted to do during the cause of this show is actually go over some of those so the bill includes the following superannuation related measures so we're going to cover them off one by one so this law actually has now repealed the work test for individuals aged 67 to 74 so i guess the first question to ask is what is the work test
1: Uh, Good question, Ray. Um, The work test, uh, it requires certain individuals to be gainfully employed in order to make voluntary contributions to super. Now, when I say voluntary contributions, I'm talking about contributions such as non-concessional contributions, so after-tax contributions into super, uh, also personal deductible contributions, in other words, contributions you make to super and you want to claim a deduction on it, and also salary sacrifice contributions. So, You need to generally be gainfully employed to make these contributions. Um, But prior to 1 July this year, as you said, individuals between those ages of 67 and 74, they were required to satisfy the work test in order to make these voluntary contributions. So they had to meet this work test to do that. Now, when we say gainfully employed, um, that effectively means uh, being employed on a part-time basis during a financial year. Um, And that will happen if that person was gainfully employed for at least 40 hours over a 30-day consecutive period. Um, But what's happened from 1 July this year is that the work test has been removed for these individuals that are aged between 67 to 74. Um, So that's now gone. uh, And so people within this age group, people can make contributions, these voluntary contributions, um, such as non-concessional contributions, salary sacrifice contributions from 1 July this year and not have to worry about satisfying this work test. Uh, so that's that's great and it's provided flexibility for older Australians looking to boost their superannuation savings in the lead up to their retirement.
0: And, and this is what we're really talking about now is f- freeing up this legislation to enable people to top up their super a lot more easier than they were able to prior to this change. Isn't that Right.
1: That's right. That's right. Because you know, you, you may have had people in that age bracket between sixty-seven and seventy-four who may have retired, and uh, and there was no way for these people to be able to make these voluntary contributions into super if they were retired because they wouldn't have satisfied that work test. They wouldn't have been gainfully employed for forty hours over that thirty-day period. But now that this work test is gone, uh, there's no need to worry about that. Um, if 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 you are between sixty-seven and seventy-four and you are retired. You you can contribute into your super fund right up until the age of 74 and not have to worry about um, whether what your work status is.
0: Now, I guess for the younger listeners in our audience, they may sit here and listen to this and say, so what? But I guess from the perspective that You guys have had now super pretty well from the outset that you started work. Now, I'm one of those luckier, I guess, baby, well, I'm still called a baby boomer, although I still think I'm a little young in that space. But uh, a lot of people, when I first started working, I was in the armed forces. So we had super because of being in the armed forces, but a lot of people did not. And so many, many people that are coming up to retirement now have not had super around for their entire lives and so this top-up facility is quite important isn't it
1: oh definitely definitely um you know as you say not super guarantee only really came into play um you know in the 90s um in 92 i believe and and back then it was at three percent so um for a lot of people who are who who were in the workforce um back then uh, may not have uh, accumulated enough as what somebody today entering the workforce mm. would uh, accumulate come their retirement. so giving this giving these people um, you know, This extra time and flexibility to um, boost their retirement savings because they didn't have the opportunity to do so um, during their working life is is really quite a great change from 1 July this year.
0: And again, for the younger listeners out there, what's the benefit? Guess what? The more retirees that are able to be self-funded means the less retirees that are on the pension. And so I personally think this is a wonderful thing of having self-sufficiency in one's retirement is a great way to be. Now, interestingly, uh, the next change that came about was reducing the eligibility for downsizer contributions to si- from 65 to 60. So the first question I need to ask you, what is a downsizer contribution?
1: Yeah, the downsizer contribution um, scheme is really quite generous. Um, It allows individuals to make a one-off after-tax contribution to their super fund of up to $300,000 or uh, $600,000 per couple. Uh, and that's and, and that'll be from the proceeds from selling their home, as long as they meet a whole range of other eligibility criteria. There are about seven other um, eligibility criteria that you need to meet. I can tick them off quickly if you like. Um, but but effectively downsizer contributions can be a great way of boosting your super after retirement, because as well as the extra capital that they introduce into your fund these contributions can also earn investment income that is either tax free if you commence an income stream with those funds mm-hmm. or they can be taxed at a concessional tax rate of up to 15% whilst you're in accumulation phase which is non retirement phase mm. um but rosa said like there are eligibility requirements that you need to meet there's Yeah, some of those things, um, you need to meet each one of these requirements in order to make a downsizer contribution. So every single one must be ticked, yes. Um, And as you say, the first one is that you need to be aged at least 60 or over um, from 1 July this year. Um, The amount that um, you're contributing to your fund um, is equal to all or part of your sale proceeds. You know, the home must have been owned by you or your spouse for at least 10 years uh, or more prior to the sale, your home, we're talking about main residences here, uh, your home must be either fully exempt or partially exempt from the capital gains tax main residence exemption. So um, that's one key thing that also needs to be met. You need to generally make that downsizer contribution within 90 days of receiving those uh, proceeds of sale, which is typically your settlement date. Um, and once you make that contribution to super, you need to provide a specific form to your fund, which effectively says that that contribution is um should be treated as a downsizer contribution. And it's a one-off only um, scheme. You can't have uh, made a downsizer contribution from the sale of another home in the past. So it's a one-off only, one-time only Mm -hmm. chance. So Uh, these are the seven things that you need to meet to make a downsizer contribution.
0: And funnily enough, guess what? I'm actually, uh, I, I meet all of those eligibility requirements other than I haven't sold my home yet, but it's certainly something my wife and I are very seriously going to consider in the next however many years. Uh, my children are still looking at me rather anxiously thinking, are they going to sell the house from underneath us? But that's a, that's another story. But look, I, I'm really curious, Natasha, how successful has this downsized policy been?
1: Oh, it's been very popular. Um, since the introduction of this scheme, um, it was introduced back on or kicked off on 1 July 2018. So since then, um, Aussies have contributed more than $9.4 billion into their super funds using this measure, uh, which is quite a lot. And this has increased from $1 billion worth of downsizer contributions that were made in the initial 2019 financial year. So from one billion back in the 2019 financial year to now 9.4 billion uh, is quite a large jump. It and says really, a lot, doesn't it? It is. It does. Um, and the downsizer scheme is mo- uh, mostly popular for amongst older Australians because it can be used with um, they're called the bring forward rules, um, which allows uh, people to make a much larger contribution into super. So. The reduction in this eligibility age for downsizer contributions to age 60 can allow a couple in their early 60s to sell their home and contribute up to $1,260,000 into super in a year by each making a downsizer contribution of $300,000 each and a non-concessional contribution of up to $330,000 using these bring forward rules.
0: Now, i, I got to say, a lot of listeners to my show will, will obviously uh, very uh, pointedly uh, say to me at times I'm a little partisan against the, the Liberal National Party, but I'm also one that will give credit where credit's due. I think this is a great policy and it was brought in by the Liberal National Party back in 18, as you say, and I think them putting this downsizer reduction from 65 to 60 is also good policy because it's giving people the incentive to to really bolster their savings. Uh, for retirement and then obviously not be a burden on the welfare system. So big tick in the box for me, for you, Jane, uh, if you're listening, but uh, I thought that was a good move and I'm really pleased that it was done. Um, I guess a follow-up question. Uh, one of the reasons that I saw in policy documents and also in, in uh, main newsprint uh, commentary about the the policy, has the has the policy had any positive impact on housing supply?
1: Well, that, it, that goes back to yeah the policy intent of the scheme. So it was announced back in the 2017 federal budget, and as you say, legislated to commence from uh, July 18. Um, and it was mainly there to give, mainly introduced to give older Australians that opportunity to downsize from their home if it no longer met their needs and to move into more suitable accommodation, um, thereby freeing up housing stock for younger Aussies and reducing the pressure on the housing affordability um, in Australia. So uh, you know the statistics as I mentioned um just previously tell us that it is happening um but you know I think there there would still be um, a fair few older Australians out there reluctant to make the move for a whole range of reasons you know it could be the whole sentimental thing in that it's the family home uh, the cost to buy another home uh, potentially at, at higher prices incurring stamp duty again the potential loss of the age pension. So, you know, yes, it is happening. Yes, people are taking up this scheme and, and using this measure, uh, but I still think there's probably a few people out there that are still holding on um, because they just don't know what those next steps are um, in the future. But, um, you know, yes, this is a great scheme. I'm not sure if you if you um, heard, but um, the government's also looking to uh Reduce the eligibility age for downsizes again. So from 60, lowering it down to 55. Really? Um, yeah. Well, Labor, yeah, so initially um, the LNP uh, announced this this measure as part of the, their election campaign and then Labor pledged to match that Um as well, so they, they they will if they do introduce a bill into Parliament to get this to go ahead, the age will be further reduced to 55 to commence from 1 July this year. But as I say, we haven't seen anything just yet in terms of a bill introduced into Parliament. But but um, reducing the age again will be a significant change because the statistics do show us that um, older Australians are downsizing. But it is happening at a much younger age and the stats are telling us that this is occurring um, in an individual's late 50s and early 60s. Personally, I don't know how people in their late 50s or early 60s uh, are empty nesters considering there are so many adult kids out there staying for <laughs> a bit longer? I'm uh, one of them. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So you know, I mean, they're saying that the stats are showing that people are using this, or um, well, are downsizing in their late fifties or early sixties. But practically speaking, uh,
0: that's that's an interesting point. I, I guess one of the fascinating elements of the policy, and I think it's a, a, a small flaw. Uh, And I'm trying not to be critical here because it's rare that I ever give a tick in the box to the Liberal National Party on this show. But um, one of the things that I I was a little surprised is that when you do use the downsizer um, uh, ability, you don't actually have to buy something cheaper. You can actually buy something far more expensive. And so I've seen people do this where they – Uh, will actually sell the family home and because they've got investment properties potentially divest those at the same time and then buy uh, a bigger more expensive house (laughs) and so I scratch my head because that then defeats the purpose of housing supply kind of being freed up but hey it's people's own money and you're entitled to do with your own money as you please I guess
1: yeah, and well, yeah, that's right, Ray. And just one other thing, I'll mention. It's called downsizer scheme, but you actually don't need to buy another main residence. You can sell your home, and if become a renter or oh know, yes, in with yeah, the I agree, or, yeah. You know, build a granny flat in the kids' backyard, or you know, go travelling around the world now that borders are open. So it's called downsizer scheme, but you technically don't have to buy a home um, if you don't want to.
0: Well, let's hold that thought. It's time for a break. We are here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm really pleased to have at the microphone Natasha Panagis from Tax and Super Australia. I'm Ray Trevison from OTG Capital. And we're going to go to a short station announcement and be back with you in just a moment. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison from OTG Capital, and at the microphone, I have Natasha Panagis from Tax and Super Australia. And today, we are talking about some of the major changes that have occurred to our superannuation laws, and they came into effect on the 1st of July of this year. Royal Assent was the term, wasn't it, Natasha?
1: That's right.
0: Okay, so let's move on. We're going to try and do this next subject without too much jargon, but it's called the ECPI, the Exempt Current Pension Income. Now, without getting too in-depth, what do you think? What are the changes here that people need to be aware of?
1: Sure, right. Well, uh, exempt current pension income is a bit of a mouthful, but effectively once a, a pension has commenced from an SMSF, or self-managed super fund, all or part of that pension's investment income will be exempt from income tax. Now, this is what is referred to as exempt current pension income. So, in other words, this ECPI refers to investment income that is exempt from tax because the self-managed super fund is providing a pension. Now, as a general rule, if, if all of the member accounts in the fund are pensions, then all of the the fund's investment income would be 100% exempt from tax. But if if only a proportion of those accounts are, uh, are pensions, then only part of that fund's investment income is ECPI. Now, there is a formula in the tax legislation which determines how this ECPI or this exempt income is calculated, and this calculation must be done each income year and must be reported in the self-managed super funds annual return. But previously, some self-managed super funds had to obtain an actuarial certificate to determine how much of the pension's investment income would be exempt from income tax. Uh But changes from 1 July have simplified this process and will now provide SMSF trustees choice in how to calculate that eCPI for their
0: fund and so one hopes that will make life a lot easier because it always sounded me every time I read this this policy uh, when my wife and I come to retire I'm looking at this going great we'll retire at the same time so we don't have to worry about trying to split uh, whether one is or is not uh, retired or not It, it sounds complex but it sounds like they've simplified that rule now
1: That's right. Yeah. And look, this this rule really has to do, is only really relevant for those people that have a self-managed super fund um, and have commenced paying a pension in their fund. So the changes will allow these trustees to choose how to calculate that ECPI, where a fund switches between being in accumulation phase, Uh, to retirement phase and vice versa.
0: Okay, and and as always, listeners, one of the things that we always say on dollars and making sense, if you're not sure, please talk to your financial planner or in this instance, a tax expert, because they will know exactly what to do when you come and do your annual returns and when you are apportioning what is or is not in pension uh, phase or not. So I don't want to dwell on that one too long because when I looked at the subject, I started getting cloudy head. And so if you're not involved in the game, every day ladies and gents i I certainly don't want to cloud the issue so let's move on one of the ones one of the policy changes that i'm absolutely heralding and again i will give credit where credit is due this is probably one of the most momentous changes in super law that will benefit women like there is no tomorrow the removal of the 450 dollars per month minimum super guarantee threshold tell me about that natasha
1: That's right, Ray. So prior to 1 July this year, uh, where an employee earned less than $450 in a calendar month, their employer uh, was not required to pay super guarantee on those earnings. Now, this $450 per month threshold also applied if an employee had more than one part-time job or a casual job, and they had earned more than $450 per month from all jobs combined. It, It simply came down to the amount earned Per job, which could disadvantage many uh, lower-income workers, such as women and also other younger workers as well. Um, but this minimum income threshold uh, has been abolished from uh, 1 July this year, meaning that employers are now I'm sorry, employers are now required to pay super guarantee on behalf of all um, low-income. Employees earning less than $450 in a calendar month, so that is great news um, in that that has now been abolished. That that $450 um, calendar uh, per month uh, minimum threshold. I-, I think the reason why this this was in place, the original rationale for this $450 threshold was was really to uh, minimise the administrative burden on employers administering small amounts of super contributions. You know, but over the years we've seen some um, technological advances and uh, you know better payroll systems, uh, which reduces the this rationale for having that $450 minimum threshold, um, and you know a whole range of uh, other reasons that, have, that we've come a long way that that this is a seems to be a redundant um, threshold.
0: Well, so certainly, certainly, yeah, the, the accounting software that's out there today handles this all with one click. And I think if any small business owner turned up and said that was a, a a burden on them, I'd be scratching my head going, I really don't think so.
1: Agree, agree. The only thing I'll mention, though, about this $450 threshold is that it's still not compulsory to pay super guarantee to part-time employees under 18 if oh. they are working 30 hours or less per week.
0: I didn't but,
1: know that. Yeah, so that's a little nuance that didn't that didn't change. But if you've got um, part-time employees under eighteen, if they are working more than thirty hours per week, then they must be paid super guarantee. So that's just yeah. something to look out for, particularly for those listeners of yours that might have kids who are working, you know, a part-time job at at Macca's, Um That yeah, a super guarantee would still not be payable if they're if they're working less than thirty hours um, a week. Each week,
0: I think also one of the uh, important things that happened on 1 July when it comes to SG contributions as well is that the rate went from 10 up to 10.5%. Uh, that one sort of snuck under the radar, I think, news-wise, because. Uh, as uh, I pay uh, contractors and employees and myself and my wife. So, um, and, and our software automatically updates. And so I, I just I happened to notice it uh, when we did our first pay run for July. And I looked at it and went, oh, those numbers are different. And yeah, the, the SG rate had gone up from 10 up to 10.5%. So, uh, employers out there, don't forget, and employees, don't forget, make sure your super is being paid.
1: That's right. Um, really important. Like we don't check on that, uh, you know, as part of we get our pay slips, but who who really checks their pay slips anymore? Nobody really sees um, or, or or checks in on what their super balances are. If if you have MyGov, you can easily jump into MyGov and have a look at um, your superannuation as part of MyGov as well through the ATO uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, part of it. So, yeah, I encourage you to have a look just to see um, if the, it, what information is there and if you're not doing it via MyGov, then probably try and find out what your, um, you know, your member details are and, and log in using your Superfund's um, member login system and that way you can check if your employer has been paying your Super Guarantee. You know, they, they might be doing that with every pay cycle, whether that's fortnightly or monthly, Um, And if they're not doing that, then legally they must be paying it every quarter. So
0: remember that. And it's a fascinating thing because all my three children are in their 20s now and they've all got either full-time or part-time work and I harangue them mercilessly Natasha let me tell you I harangue them mercilessly to make sure that at least just once a year just once that they read their superannuation statement that they log into their portal and at least get a feel for what's going on now yeah, you know, they look at me and go, oh, it's not going to happen for another 40 years. And I've, I mean, I don't know how many times I've rabbited on on this show about the compounding impact of making sure that they get every dollar into super now in their 20s, because that's going to multiply and multiply and multiply over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years to turn into hopefully a nice little nest egg for them. So I, I must say, it's just so vitally important um, and, and I might just as a, as a quick diversion, one of our other regular contributors, Philippa Hunt, does a lot of work with women and women's uh, super balances is of great concern. So I'm just going to flick a question to you, Natasha, uh, without, um, without notice. Is TSA looking at the impact of gender inequality in super as a policy framework, or at least lobbying on behalf of women, or is that something that's an aside that uh, you might have interest in, but that's not really in TSA's remit?
1: Look, it is something that I'm passionate about, passionate about, um, because it's it's important to uh, stop uh, or reduce that that gender gap in income and superannuation. So it's definitely something that um, I will be looking um, at advocating for in the near future. I um came across a report uh put together, uh I think it was put together by KPMG in around August last year. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a report called the gender superannuation gap and addressing the options. Now I, I found this um report quite useful. Um, when, when I was reading it, because it's pretty much confirmed that the imbalance in gender pay, income and super balances comes down to a whole range of reasons, um, such as, you know, women are generally, they're working part-time work, they're in lower paid industries, they've got lower hourly rates compared to men, and there's less time in the paid workforce because um Obviously they're there uh, as mainly the the primary carer of younger children, or you know their their um their their parents. So the super imbalance between men and women is real. There are statistics out there that tell us that the gender gap um super gap can be anywhere between twenty two and thirty five percent.
0: It's astounding number, isn't it, when you think about it, and and compounding that over someone's working lifetime, Uh, This is something, if you're ever listening to the shows that I do with Philippa, I mean, she's launched Wise Girls Money, particularly to start educating women of all ages, but particularly older women, because, man, the the statistic that frightens the heck out of me is so many single women over 50 now are becoming homeless. I'm staggered by this.
1: Yeah, that's right. At the end of the day... To fix this this uh, this gap, this gender gap, it all comes down to, um, you know, that that, uh, that that women are earning less, and Super is an earnings based retirement scheme, so it's a lose lose situation. If you're earning less, no, you can you're going to be getting less Super. Um, so we need to be looking at at that, um, and we need to be looking at solutions where we can close this gap. Right. Uh, it it compounds.
0: Day, it compounds the losses, doesn't it? So if the gap's there, all you're doing is compounding the gap over years and years of uh, of uh, interest being gained. It's it's one of those funny things that uh, if you're having a loss situation, just having more time just increases the loss.
1: That's right. That's right. And as you said before, Ray, um, even if it's a small contribution over your um lifetime, you know, it could just be, yeah, you know, for example, you know, twenty dollars from every pay. Any extra contribution to super with compounding will will help boost your retirement savings come retirement. And there's a whole range of other um, superannuation contributions uh, that can benefit women and and lower um, income earning people, such as the government co-contribution scheme and the spouse contribution tax offset. Um, These schemes are really for people who are low to medium income earners, where if you make a contribution, then the government will you know, tip in a, an extra amount to top you up or provide your spouse with a tax offset if your spouse makes a contribution for you. So there are things out there to help um, boost uh, women's super, but a lot more can be done to, <laughs> help, to help close that gap
0: tonne load more, I believe. Now, the last point that you wrote in your article back in February is increasing the first home super saver scheme, a releasable amount uh, from 30 up to 50k. Now, the coalition made a huge election ploy uh, about a week out from uh, 24th of May polling day about being able to release super. And I guess I'm curious TSA's position around this, and uh, I'm still Flummoxed at why there are some very outspoken LNP politicians and senators that are openly railing against compulsory super and suggesting it's a drain on the country's finances. And I guess this this release scheme that allows people to raid super, this particular FHSSS, the First Home Super Saver Scheme, though, only relates to concessional contributions, not the 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 um not the 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 SG component. Isn't that right?
1: That's right. So it's got to be, um, so this has been in place since July 17 and um, people can make voluntary concessional contributions and also voluntary non-concessional contributions into super and have them released to help pay for their first time. So when we say voluntary, it means um over and
0: it, above over and above the the guarantee isn't it
1: That's right that's exactly right and so the amount the maximum amount you can take out of your fund under this scheme um has increased from thirty thousand from to fifty thousand dollars from one July
0: yeah um, I, I can hear the Sydney siders rejoicing from the hills.
1: <laughs> not sure how much uh, how helpful that will be when looking at uh, putting down a deposit but I suppose something. Better than a poke in the eye
0: with a sharp stick, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) Now, one of the points that you made before, and I I wrote this down while we were chatting, but I wanted to come back to it. You were talking about one of the things that a lot of um, people that are uh, approaching uh, their pension age uh, start getting concerned about compromising their pension. Now, Uh, My mum passed away this year. She was 96 years old and she lived on a pension. And whilst my wife and I were there uh, watching all of this transpire, the idea of living on an age pension from Centrelink never really appealed. Yet I still hear particularly asset rich retirees or SMSF trustees overly concerned about losing their pension. I don't understand that, Natasha. Am I getting it wrong? Why are they overly concerned about losing next to nothing?
1: Yeah, look, right, that's a good that's a good point. Um you know there are there are people out there, or I suppose a generation out there, where you know they believe that they've worked um, majority of their life, and that's something that they're entitled to um, upon retirement. And so if you don't get the pension, you kind of feel some people kind of feel that um, they they've been ripped off because they've been paying taxes their whole life. But unfortunately, when when it comes down to the age pension, it's it's a means tested. Uh, regime where, you know, Social Security, Centrelink, will look at the amount of income and the assets you've got. And if they're over a certain threshold, well, then you're not going to get it. But if you're between certain thresholds, then you might get a part pension. So, at the end of the day, it does come at a cost. The age pension, it comes at a cost for the government and taxpayers. So, there needs to be, I suppose, a fine line in terms of who can get it and how much. So um Yeah, it comes down to a fairness and a a means testing approach to determine that.
0: And I think you make a valid point again, Natasha, because when people sit there and say, well, I'm entitled to a pension and I look at them and I make the argument, which in fact LNP politicians that openly rail against superannuation guarantee uh, make the argument in saying that because super gets uh, a special tax treatment, we are foregoing government revenues today in order to fund a retirement in the future. So it's a Rob Peter to pay Paul kind of situation. And so when I make the argument to say, well, look, if you're not getting your pension, you are benefiting from all the tax sheltering that your super account has had over the accumulation period. Surely that is far better. And, and again, I simply correlate it back to a lived experience. Heck, if you're living on the pension, that's not something to aspire to. I don't I just I sit there and look at that and go, you know what? If I end up on the, the the age pension, I would consider myself a failure because of my background and my education and my investment prowess, hopefully. But I sit and look at people and say, guys, with with superannuation guarantee and if you're investing yourself and all that, you should be doing better than the pension. I mean, am I being unreasonable?
1: No, 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 I get that, Ray. I mean, you've got to look at, you know, what the age pension pays. I mean, the normal rates, if you're looking at it, um, for example, for a single person, that's about $987 uh, per fortnight. So if you look at that on an annual basis, a single person per year to get the maximum age pension is going to be just under $26,000 a year. And for a couple combined, it's not even all that much more. It's for a couple combined they'll get just under thirty nine thousand dollars per year uh, from the age pension. Now we're not talking a lot of money here, so it doesn't hurt to look at your superannuation. Look at trying to boost that as you can, because come retirement, once you reach age sixty or over, um, any any um, if you commence a superannuation pension from your superannuation savings that income will be tax-free.
0: Exactly. That's my point. It's tax-free. And I'm sitting there guys, wouldn't you rather have that than being sitting there dependent on – and can you imagine? I mean, I I listen to my kids trying to get through and talk to to Centrelink on on a phone line. Help me. God, I mean, I would never want to have to do that. It's like self-sufficiency. Give it to me any day
1: yeah that's right. and look, it's 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 your money. and if you're invested right in the right kind of investment strategy, it might even turn out that what you're uh, what you're drawing as a pension, because mind you, the amount that you must draw um as a super pension does depend on your age and there are prescribed minimum drawdown rates. So depending on what you're drawing down, um you might not even be tapping into your capital and might just be drawing down on. Your investment earnings, which you might not even see, um, you know, a, a dip into your your capital. So, and,
0: and I've seen many people with that problem or issue, as they call it. Like, oh Ray, I've got a problem. It's like, geez, what a problem to have, eh? <laughs> yeah,
1: good good problem, but um,
0: it's a good problem to have. That's right. All right. Well, look, we're just about out of time, Natasha. I've I got to say, I always thoroughly enjoy talking to you because even on what some people look at and say, well, that's a bit dry, that subject. Look, I think it's really cool because when we're talking about people's retirements and being able to plan effectively for it, knowing and understanding the rules and the regulations really does help. And Tax and Super Australia, ladies and gentlemen, are a great organisation. They are there, the representative body for all the professionals that you are dealing with on a day-to-day basis, all the FPs that are out there, all the accountants and tax agents, etc., tsa natasha and her crew pippa mckee and and all of your advocates are out there looking after this group of professionals so have a look at their website natasha i'm always plugging money smart and you mentioned MyGov today as well there's a lot of good government resources out there as well aren't there
1: there is so on the money smart website uh there is a um they recently updated their projection calculators so you know for those listeners of yours they can go on the Money Smart website and project how much super, we'll have a look at how much super they've got now, but then project what that might look like in the future when they retire. And if they, you know, contributed certain amounts between now and then, what that could grow to. So really some quite handy and useful tools and resources and calculators to have a look at. And it's all free, of course, on the Money Smart website.
0: Wonderful. Natasha, always a pleasure to have you on the show. That's it for us. So until next time, I am certainly look forward to welcoming you back on dollars and making sense in the future.
1: Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me again.